Our principal commencement speaker this afternoon has twice won the Academy Award for Best Director. As a result, he's quite used to waiting until the end of a long program before getting up to speak. <laughs> I'm thrilled to introduce Steven Spielberg. Jaws was one of the first films I saw at a movie theater. To this day, I remember being terrified, even though you don't actually see that shark until halfway through the movie. Over the past four decades, his movies have firmly established his place as one of America's greatest filmmakers. Reading just a partial list of his many works is to recount some of our country's most iconic, most acclaimed, and most successful movies. After Jaws, there was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the other Indiana Jones movies, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, the Color Purple, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. Amistad. Saving Private Ryan. Minority Report. Lincoln, Bridge of Spies. We can go on for quite a bit. <laughs> when you hear that you're about to see a Steven Spielberg movie, you know that you're going to see something memorable. You'll be entertained and also challenged. He's won the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild of America, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and the Kennedy Center Honors. Last year, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, our country's highest civilian honor. We're privileged to have him here with us this afternoon. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Steven Spielberg. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, uh, President Faust. And uh, Paul Choi, thank you so much. Um, it's an honor and a thrill to address this group of distinguished alumni and, and supportive friends and cavelling parents. We've all gathered to share in the joy of this day, so please join me in congratulating Harvard's class of 2016. I can remember my own college graduation, uh, which is easy since it was only 14 years ago. <laughs> How many of you took 37 years to graduate? Because like most of you, I began college in my teens. Uh, but sophomore year, I was offered my dream job at Universal Studios, so I dropped out. I told my parents if my movie career didn't go well, I'd re-enroll. It went all right. But eventually, I returned for one big reason. Most people go to college for an education, and some go, to, go for their parents, but I went for my, for my kids. I'm the father of seven, and I kept insisting on the importance of going to college, but I hadn't walked the walk. So in my 50s, I re-enrolled at Cal State Long Beach, and I earned my degree.
I just have to add, it helped that they gave me course credit in paleontology for the work I did on Jurassic Park. <laughs> the three units for Jurassic Park. Thank you. Well, I left college because I knew exactly what I wanted uh, to do, and some of you know too, but some of you don't. Or maybe you thought you knew, but are now questioning that choice. Maybe you're sitting there trying to figure out how to tell your parents that you want to be a doctor and not a comedy writer. <laughs> well, what you choose to do next is what we call in the movies the character-defining moment. Now, these are moments you're very familiar with, like in The Last Star Wars, The Force Awakens, when Rey realizes the Force is with her, or Indiana Jones choosing Mission Over Fear by jumping into a pile of snakes. Now, in a two-hour movie, you get a handful of character-defining moments, but in real life, you face them every day. Life is one strong, long string of character-defining moments, and I was lucky that at 18, I knew what I exactly wanted to do, but I didn't know who I was. I, how, how could I and how could any of us? Because for the first 25 years of our lives, we are trained to listen to voices that are not our own. Parents and professors fill our heads with wisdom and information, and then employers and mentors take their place and explain how this world really works. And usually these voices of authority make sense, but sometimes doubt starts to creep into our heads and into our hearts. And even when we think that's not quite how I see the world, it's kind of easier just to nod in agreement and go along. And for a while, I let that going along define my character because I was repressing my own point of view because like in that Nielsen song, everybody was talking at me so I couldn't hear the echoes of my mind. And at first, the internal voice I needed to listen to was hardly audible, and it was hardly noticeable, kind of like me in high school. But then I started paying more attention, and my intuition kicked in. And I want to be clear that your intuition is different from your conscience. They work in tandem, but here's the distinction. Your conscience shouts, here's what you should do, while your intuition whispers, Here's what you could do. Listen to that voice that tells you what you could do. Nothing will define your character more than that. Because once I turned to my intuition and I tuned into it, I, certain projects began to pull me into them and others I turned away from. And up until the 1980s, my movies were mostly, I guess, what you, what you could call escapist. And I don't dismiss any of these movies, not even 1941. <laughs> not even that one. And, and, and many of these early films reflected the values that I, I, I cared deeply about, and I still do. But I was in a celluloid bubble because I'd cut my education short. My worldview was limited to what I could dream up in my head, not what the world could teach me. But then I directed The Color Purple. And this one film opened my eyes to experiences that I never could have imagined, and yet were all too real. This story was filled with deep pain and deeper truths, like when Suge Avery says, everything wants to be loved. My gut, which was my intuition, told me that more people needed to meet these characters and experience these truths 
And while making that film, I realized that a movie could also be a mission. I hope all of you find that sense of mission. Don't turn away from what's painful. Examine it. Challenge it. My job is to create a world that lasts two hours. Your job is to create a world that lasts forever. You are the future innovators, motivators, leaders, and caretakers. And the way you create a better future is by studying the past. Jurassic Park uh, writer Michael Crichton, who graduated from both this college and this medical school, liked to quote a favorite professor of his who said that if you didn't know history, you didn't know anything. You were a leaf that didn't know it was part of a tree. So history majors, good choice. You're in great shape. <laughs> Not in the job market, but culturally. <laughs> the rest of us have to make a little effort. Social media that we're inundated and swarmed with is about the here and now. But I've been fighting and fighting inside my own family to get all my kids to look behind them, to look at what already has happened. Because to understand who they are is to understand who we were and who their grandparents were, and then what this country was like when they emigrated here. We are a nation of immigrants, at least for now. So, So, to me, this means we all have to tell our own stories. We have so many stories to tell. Talk to your parents and your grandparents, if you can, and ask them about their stories. And I promise you, like I have promised my kids, you will not be bored. And, and that's why I so often make movies based on real-life events. I look to history not to be didactic, because that's just a bonus. but. I, I look because the past is filled with the greatest stories that have ever been told. Heroes and villains are not literary constructs, but they're at the heart of all history. And again, this is why it's so important to listen to your internal whisper. It's the same one that compelled Abraham Lincoln and Oscar Schindler to make the correct moral choices. In your defining moments, do not let your morals be swayed by convenience or expediency. Sticking to your character requires a lot of courage, and to be courageous, you're going to need a lot of support. And if you're lucky, you have parents like mine. I consider my mom my lucky charm. And when I was 12 years old, my father handed me a movie camera, the tool that allowed me to make sense of this world. And I am so grateful to him for that, and I am grateful that he's here at Harvard, sitting right down there. My, my dad is 99 years old, which, which means he's only one year younger than Widener Library, but unlike Widener, he's at zero cosmetic work. And dad, there's a lady behind you, also 99, I'll introduce you after this is over, okay? Great. 
But look, if your family's not always available, there's backup. Near the end of It's a Wonderful Life, you remember that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Clarence the Angel inscribes a book with this. No man is a failure who has friends. And I hope you hang on to the friendships you've made here at Harvard. And among your friends, I hope you find someone you want to share your life with. I imagine some of you in this yard may be a tad cynical, but I want to be unapologetically sentimental. I spoke about the importance of intuition and how there's no greater voice to follow. That is until you meet the love of your life. And this is what happened when I met and married Kate. And that became the greatest character-defining moment of my life. Love, support, courage, intuition. All these things are in your hero's quiver. But still, a hero needs one more thing. A hero needs a villain to vanquish. And you're all in luck. This world is full of monsters. And there's racism, homophobia, ethnic hatred, class hatred, there's political hatred, and there's religious hatred. As a kid, I was bullied for being Jewish. This was upsetting, but compared to what my parents and grandparents had faced, it felt tame. Because we truly believed that anti-Semitism was fading, and we were wrong. Over the last two years, nearly 20,000 Jews have left Europe to find higher ground. And earlier this year, I was at the Israeli embassy when President Obama stated the sad truth. He said, we must confront the reality that around the world, anti-Semitism is on the rise. We cannot deny it. My own desire to confront that reality compelled me to start in 1994 the Shoah Foundation and since then, we've spoken to over 53,000 Holocaust survivors and witnesses in 63 countries and taken all their video testimonies. Thank you. Thank you. And we're now gathering testimonies from genocides in Rwanda, Cambodia, Armenia, and Nanking because we must never forget that the inconceivable doesn't happen. It happens frequently. Atrocities are happening right now. And so we wonder not just when will this hatred end, but, but how did it begin? Now, I don't have to tell a crowd of Red Sox fans that we are wired for tribalism. <laughs> but beyond rooting for the home team, tribalism has a much darker side. Instinctively, and maybe even genetically, we divide the world into us and them. So the burning question must be, how do all of us together find the we? How do we do that? There's still so much work to be done, and sometimes I feel the work hasn't even begun. And it's not just anti-Semitism that's surging. Islamophobia is on the rise, too, because there's no difference between anyone who is discriminated against, whether it's the Muslims or the Jews or minorities on the border states or the LGBT community, it is all big one hate. And, and to me, to me and I think to all of you, the only answer to more hate is more humanity. We gotta repair. We have to replace fear with curiosity. Us and them will find the we by connecting with each other. 
and by believing that we're members of the same tribe and by feeling empathy for every soul, even Yaley's. <laughs> and make, no, 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 that's good. My, my, my son graduated from Yale, thank you. <laughs> and make sure this, <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> but make sure this empathy isn't just something that you feel. Make it something you act upon. That means vote, peaceably protest. Speak up for those who can't and speak up for those who may be shouting but aren't being heard. Let your conscience shout as loud as it wants if you're using it in the service of others. And as an example of action in service of others, you need to look no further than this Hollywood-worthy backdrop of Memorial Church. Its south wall bears the names of Harvard alumni like President Faust has already mentioned, students and faculty members who gave their lives in World War II. All told, 697 souls who once tread the ground where we stand now were lost. And at a service in this church in late 1945, Harvard President James Conant, which President Faust also mentioned, honored the brave and called upon the community to reflect the radiance of their deeds. 70 years later, this message still holds true because their sacrifice is not a debt that can be repaid in a single generation. It must be repaid with every generation, just as we must never forget the atrocities. We must never forget those who fought for freedom. So as you leave this college and head out into the world, continue, please, to reflect the radiance of their deeds, or as Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan would say, earn this. And please stay connected. Please never lose eye contact. This may not be a lesson you want to hear from a person who creates media, but we are spending more time looking down at our devices than we are looking in each other's eyes. So, so forgive me, but let's start right now. Everyone here, please find someone's eyes to look into. Students and alumni and you two, President Faust, all of you turn to someone you don't know or don't know very well. They may be standing behind you or a couple of rows ahead. Just let your eyes meet. That's it. That emotion you're feeling is our shared humanity mixed in with a little social discomfort. But if you remember nothing else from today, I hope you remember this moment of human connection. And I hope you all had a lot of that over the past four years, because today you start down the path of becoming the generation on which the next generation stands. And I've imagined many possible futures in my films, but you will determine the actual future. And I hope that it's filled with justice and peace. And finally, I wish you all a true Hollywood-style happy ending. I hope you outrun the T-Rex catch the criminal, and for your parents' sake, maybe every now and then, just like E.T., go home. <laughs>